Welcome back, Ruffles. So, because this is an audio experience and David has failed to remember that, uh, he's just waved his hand in the air like he's waving a flag. Yeah, well, I always like to keep you on your toes and uh, you've uh-huh. done a very good job of describing to the audience. So I was just waving a flag in the air there because we always talk about flags on this show and how important it is to... Uh, bee planting flags and how there are multiple different kind of flags that you can you can plant. Um, and so on that note, I, I've got a solo show coming up and I thought I need I really want people to come to this show because I've spent a bloody long time putting it all together. Um, so how how am I going to get attention? Yeah. Uh, I, I want to do a stunt. I want to do something that's going to capture people's attention. And I really was thinking about the the flags idea and I've mentioned before that every piece of street art I make is a flag because there's a potential chance for someone to see that flag. And should we do a basic description of what flags are in case this is someone's first time listening? Yeah, so for everyone, anyone who doesn't know what a flag is, um, disappointing you for a start for not listening to our show previously uh, or not listening to what we've said before. Uh, but yeah, a flag is basically uh, what we kind of, it's a, the visual representation of, I think, attention. It's kind of something you create, something you put out in the world, whether that's a piece of content, a person you meet, a kind of connection in some way. It's basically spreading your awareness about what you do and who you are. Um, so I think when we're kind of talking about flags, and this is something that I've been thinking a lot about recently, is there's obviously different sizes of flags you put out. So it's like if you just kind of walk past someone every day and wave hi to them, that's probably like a really small flag. There's a little bit of relationship building there, but maybe not like absolutely loads. Uh, or a piece of content if you quickly did something quickly put on instagram maybe like a story again a small little flag that's going in there but um, i think when it gets really interesting is when you start spending time creating those bigger flags and you start thinking about okay well the bigger a flag i plant if we kind of think about this as like a visual metaphor the more people can see it from a further distance away so actually maybe the time you spend putting in to build that flag could be more beneficial rather than planting those little ones i think there's definitely i think this is a discussion that will be quite interesting to have of like which is more important doing the smaller little flags getting lots of content so it's almost like a quantity versus quality kind of argument i suppose um because like this week's guest i found out about him because a music video dropped and i was like this is one of the best videos i've seen in ages everyone on my instagram feed we're posting it and being like this is amazing go and check this out it's really kind of saying something um and i was like okay this is great i need to find out who made this and then actually went in to look for it and i think this is interesting because very few times have i watched a music video and i i've thought to myself who's made this video i need to find out who made it and i think that only comes from someone putting in so much work and creating something that was so good that suddenly so many people have seen it which is almost kind of creating that kind of upside down pyramid effect of loads of people see it and then that's going to lead to so much stuff and it's basically because he made that one piece of great content which is a music video and it's definitely a form of content we managed to see it and it led to us having a conversation with him on today's episode so i think yeah it's interesting to like do you and obviously and he's had a career that's been going for like over 10 years he's been very successful in things he's done before but this was the first time I'd heard about him because of this one specific flag he put out. And I think that's what's worth remembering as well is the fact that someone might not find you on your first flag or your hundredth flag or your thousandth flag. But as long as you keep going, like the world is massive. Like people could find you at any point when they're even looking for the right thing. Like someone might be in a stage in their life where they're feeling a bit down. Maybe they buy a book that could help them do that or they meet the right person. You can point them in the right direction. And then it's they find you at the time when they need to find you. 
I think that's why it's also important to keep putting out the content because you never know when someone's going to be in that situation. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And and the the quality of the content is is so crucial because like you said, you've seen a million music videos and it was yeah. this one that made you go and, and seek out Chris. We see advertising everywhere. It do, like how much of it actually goes in. It's going to take something really sort of phenomenal that's actually going to capture your attention. So you could put out a million flags, but if they look like everyone else's flags, then they just become background noise. Yeah. So it's it's doing something audacious. It's doing something that's not been seen before is much more likely to capture attention. With my own stunt, uh, it's, it's one giant flag consisting of a thousand tiny flags. So what I've decided to do is I've made 1,000 prints and in the lead up to my show, I'm going to leave all a thousand prints across London. So 250 in North London, 250 in East London, et cetera, et cetera. And each print is going to have written on the back that my solo show is coming. Um, I'm going to be advertising on my social channels like, oh, I'm giving away this art. I'm going to create a whole like campaign around it to raise awareness of what I'm doing. My my hope is, I mean, so it's really funny. I was on the phone to Jay when uh, I was I was. I got the uh, delivery of these prints and the every single print as well, I'm hand finishing. So it's, it's like a huge effort, yeah. like, like loads, loads of um, preparation and time has gone into this. I was on the phone to Jay and I was like, literally I've just spent 2,500 pounds on prints. I've just spent two and a half grand on something I'm going to leave in the street. It's like, it's a huge gamble for me. Like this is, this is something that, could absolutely flop and no one see it and no one find it or people find it and throw it in the bin or whatever. Um, I'm I'm banking that that's not going to happen. I've, I've already sort of mentioned it a couple of times in a few posts I've made on social. I've already had a few messages saying, can you save me one? To which the answer is no, these no. are all going yeah. into the streets. Um, but it's I it, essentially like it's an investment in myself. I need people to find this artwork, find that the show is happening and so I've got a thousand different opportunities for someone to find this art in the street and not know who I am and then see on the back that, that my show is coming and that sort of capture their attention. Hopefully this gets picked up by some press. Hopefully the Metro or the Evening Standard or whoever puts it out that there's this crazy guy who's giving away 1,000 pieces of hand-finished artwork. If it goes really well, then I'll roll it out into other cities and I want to do it in, in other places because I, I really love the idea. I love street art, but... I also love being able to to kind of um, take something home with you. There's an artist that I really loved who's making work in Brighton. And I remember finding a tiny little cardboard piece of his like blue tacked to a lamppost, just yeah. a simple like character. And I still have it now. And that that feeling of discovery and everything was so was so cool. And I just loved it. So that was the idea. Like, let's just go on a big scale. Let's give away a thousand pieces of art and it's it's a flag. It's a giant flag, but it's also made up of tiny 1,000 different chances for yeah. people to discover me. And I suppose as well, when you think about flags, it's like every time you do a piece of paid advertisement, that could be a flag as well because that's promoting it. But I suppose what you're doing there is, is that instead of investing in the thing that everyone else does, if everyone else is putting green flags everywhere with social media ads or whatever, you're putting a bright neon pink sign out there that suddenly like as you scan over all these flags, you're going to spot that one. It's a bit different to what everyone else is doing, which I think, again, I suppose that comes down to this whole flag idea of like, well, what does your flag look like? Does it look like everyone else's? Is it going to stand out? If Because everyone, everyone else is planting flags as well. I think this is what we forget. It's not like a landscape of 
only us putting stuff out there and maybe people will find it we're competing against everyone else who's putting flags out as well so it's like make your flag stand out look different and be as impressive as possible whether that's the tallest one because you put so much work so much time into it to make it amazing or it's one that's just like short but looks fucking sick and everyone's like who made that because i need to get in touch with that person yeah in the intro to last week's episode we were we were talking about being different and standing out and unique and that's when you could really start to charge for for who you are yeah so i i think there's so many people who are following the formulas because they because other people have seen them be successful in the past so because they know that's safe that's what they do like i don't know that this is safe like i've got a good idea that this is really going to work i i think people are going to enjoy that kind of scavenger hunt style of and i've never seen anyone give away art on this scale before yeah um, so, so I've got kind of a good idea, but I don't know. Do you know what I mean? There's no blueprint yeah. that I'm following, but I think that's why it's going to work is because I'm not following a blueprint that's been done before. If, if, um, there was another street artist that did this last week, this would have no impact. It would be like, well, we saw that that's been done. Like, what are you yeah. going to do? That's bigger, that's better, that's different, that's more innovative. And I think as well with that, it's like, if it hits or not, you will never know until you try. And I think it's like you could go the safe route that everyone else does and get the same results that everyone else does that are average. Or you can put it out there and be like, hey, this is going to be a gamble, but if it pays off, it's so worth it. And I think that's what we need to kind of have that mentality around more things. It's like taking that little gamble of being like, well, I can afford this. Like the money you've spent on that, it's not like if, we, if this doesn't work, I'm going to lose my house and everything's going to go to shit. It's like you've worked out like how much you can afford to lose and then invest your time time and energy and whatever you have into making something more special than you could have done before. Yeah, that's what they always say about crypto and, and the stock market, isn't it? Is only invest what you're willing to lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the exactly the same thing should be said for your creative endeavors. Like don't don't bet your whole entire house on an idea. Um, don't don't go all chips in on on black because if it turns out to be red, then then you're screwed. Yeah. I have intuition i have i've read enough seth godin books about standing out and being different and making an impact that i think this is going to work but like you said if it doesn't we learn i don't invest in this again and, and we move on I, like i it, i'll take a hit on it but it's not going to be the end of my career i think when you're when you're first starting out as well it's it's so hard to to make that impact and to to stand out i think especially when there's there's not when, when you haven't got kind of social proof and you haven't got like a large following or you haven't yeah. got loads of, of people who are aware of you because you've been making work for so long, I think that's when it's it's the toughest. But I think if you look at someone like this week's guest, Chris Breslar, like he just started making videos with his mates. I mean, literally the dude started at 16 years old, like like just, just grinding, grinding, grinding and through massive amounts of networking taking a big risk moving to L like all chips in moving to LA yeah, yeah. because he knows that's where the action is honing his skills and becoming like becoming just a, a visionary filmmaker like making making like amazing visuals that people have not seen before that's how he's made his stamp and and it's like he's got massive success now really fast and obviously like a, a video with Roddy Rich is going to lead on to a video with Doja Cat and and those are the names that he's working with now because of because of each staircase. Yeah, but yeah. he's got that 10-year grind that you don't see. That's like the bottom of the iceberg. And now we're all just kind of learning about that tip of the iceberg as he's starting to work with megastars. Yeah, 100%. I think this is a really inspirational episode. And I think for anyone who feels like, 
oh, I've been working at this for a while and it's just not hit yet. Like this is one for you because it's like Chris was seven years into his career before it even really started to pop. But then now it has popped. It's so worth him putting all that time in beforehand because it just shows what it's worth. And I think sometimes it is the people who continue are the ones that succeed. Yeah, 100%. And it's it's pay, like this is a patient dude who had a vision. I mean, so clearly had a vision. We talk a lot about his tattoo in this episode. Like that, it was it was his destiny. Like it, it, yeah. it had to, it had to happen. We always talk about the three year rule, but like three years is where you're like, you've got to be patient. Three years is where you're going to start to see like, okay, maybe I might be on the right track for some people. It's going to be like seven, eight years graft, putting in, learning your craft, becoming really good before that, those big opportunities come. Yeah. So hope you really enjoy this episode. It's a good one. Yes. Chris Breslau is a, as we've already mentioned, is an innovative uh, filmmaker makes loads of different stuff um, very famous for his music videos and if you haven't seen his work go and check it out hey chris hello welcome to the show dude how's it going uh, it's going great man i appreciate you guys for having me on this is exciting chris could you tell us about the first tattoo that you ever got first tattoo i ever got oh this is a good one um it's this one on my forearm it's basically a director's chair that says dream big live bigger um with kind of like scrolled into the film that's wrapped around the chair. Um, I got this tattoo probably when I was about 20, 20, I think 20 years old. Um, at the time I was working in a restaurant as a wing fryer. Um, and, you know, my dream has always been filmmaking since probably since I was at least like 10 years old. Um, did it all through high school. And then by the time I graduated high school, I didn't have grades or, you know, money to go to college. My parents sat me down and were like, look, um, they were kind of devastated to tell me they didn't have any money to send me to college. They hit hard times in the economy and things like that. And I was like, oh shit, you know, cause I, I was in Florida, I grew up in Florida and I wanted to go to like university of Southern California and get a film degree and all that stuff. Um, and it didn't pan out for me. So I took some time off from filming anything and I just kind of partied and did a bunch of nonsense. Um, you know, not being proactive. I got jobs at a restaurant and then, um, I started filming music videos for, you know, local artists. And I was like, Oh wow. Like this is kind of a cool way for me to express myself rather than me having to like create a home movie and like write a script and do all this. It's more or less like a different medium that I never explored. Um, so there was an artist, uh, I went to high school with named Jordan Hollywood who somebody I still work with today. Um, and he had put out a tweet saying, Hey, looking for dope video people. Um, and I was like, okay, let me take a shot at this. So we like linked up, we shot a couple videos and then we never stopped. And then, uh, the tattoo was kind of a, a reminder to myself while I was working these jobs, you know, like not my dream job to just say, hold on to the dream. And it was on my right hand that I use all the time. So I'd be tossing wings and look down and it was just like that constant reminder. And it probably wasn't for another five years of me working in the restaurant industry that one day I remember just looking down, I was waiting tables at this point. And I looked down, I was making good money. I was like, man, I'm not really living up to this tattoo. Um, and I just quit cold Turkey. I was like, look, like I'm not giving a hundred percent of my time to my dream and I'm doing it as a side hustle. And I said, I know I'm making good money and this and that, but like, I know if I just go 100% in what I'm passionate about, I can make money and do whatever I need to do. So right then and there, I just kind of quit. 
Um, and I did definitely struggle. Uh, I was like, man, I could use some of that money I was making at the restaurant, but here I am today. And, you know, those are those things I tell young filmmakers is like, don't be afraid to sacrifice. You know, you got to just bet on yourself. How did those first few months, first few weeks kind of like look after you quit that job of thinking like, actually, shit, I've got rent to pay. I've got all these different things. Like, what did that look like? What were your kind of like first steps to try and make money? Because I think like as a creative, it's just kind of always to try and keep your own vision is quite hard to do when you're also trying to earn money. Yeah, it was um, it was definitely tough because, you know, my clientele at the time, I mean, in Miami, it was like, I kind of knew everybody who was shooting anything as far as like certain videos or certain artists that were in certain circles. Cause it was like, it's kind of like you meet one person, they connect you with the next, this person might like, like Jordan Hollywood, who I started shooting for. Uh, he had a song featuring Lil Dirk, Yo Gotti and Tory Lanez. And this is before Tory Lanez signed with Interscope before he was big. Um, and we shot it in pieces. Like I had shot Little Dirk by himself. Um, this was way before Little Dirk was even really popping. He was just a, a Chicago street rapper. Um, and I had met him and then Little Dirk wanted to film another video. He was like, man, I like your stuff. Boom, boom. So then I linked up with him. Granted, he wasn't who he is now. And Tory Lanez is somebody who's like, man, I really like your stuff. I went on shot like three videos for him. And then me and him didn't talk for about probably like three years. And then now me and him had recently linked up and you know i've shot so many videos with tori in the recent space since he's newly independent we went back to that grind of like just being you know hungry young artists who you know he respects what i do i respect what he does and then uh, yeah finding that balance is really important especially when you're first getting started because i think so many like young creatives are like okay well I want to make music videos and I want to make it for all of these huge people. They don't, who kind of like probably already have a team with them who they've been working for with you for years already. Whereas I think it is really important to just find people who you think like maybe don't have the follow account, maybe don't have the recognition that you think they deserve yet, but you see potential in them. And then collaborating with people like that can then lead to so many more things in the future rather than just being like, well, I just, unless I shoot with these famous people, it's not going to happen for me. I, I tell people all the time, I'm I'm a solid 10 years into my career um, of doing it professionally, like from a standpoint of people paying. And I would say I didn't reach a tier of like really working with somebody who was big and super notable until maybe about three years ago. So like people would look at, you know, your success where you're at. I mean, granted, I was shooting with people. You would get the occasional feature of somebody who's known, but I'm talking like, you know, I didn't shoot a record that made it in top 10 billboard until I shot the box, which was last year. You know what I mean? So now at least a bunch of the records I'm doing are charted on billboard and you just got to work to get in that space. So I did the box and that hit, you know, number one, it was a huge record. And, and that video came out right when COVID lockdown happened. So it was kind of, you know, a thing for me where it was like, I had just shot my biggest video. It was like all the buzz around me was like, Oh, you're VMA, this, that, you know, and then the lockdown happened. I was like, man, I'm like riding this top of this wave and I can't even like do anything to cap off on it. Like I was supposed to shoot a massive video that was like 
space themed and I was super stoked. Like, and literally we were about to shoot the day before uh, they locked everything down. And I was like, man, Shit. and it had so much VFX in it. And we were like, not sure if we were going to have the time. And I was like, man, if we would have just shot it, we would have had all this time to do it. <laughs> and I was just like, so bummed. So I was sitting around for like two months and I was like, you know what? I can't take this shit anymore. I was like, I got to just, I'm going to go back to my roots of like where I used to rock with just like myself. And I just started calling people like Tori who I knew were independent. And I was like, dude, let's just go shoot, you know? And I shot this video called stupid again that, you know, was an amazing video that people like Drake DM'd me for and was like, this is sick. And I was like, I did this with 10 people in quarantine. Yeah. Look, I mean, you've been doing this for, for 10 years and it's very easy to see the, the sort of the success that you're having recently and people not realize like all of like everything that's gone, the grind, the hustle, the everything that's gone into getting you up until this point. And I think, Although everyone does say like, like you, you mentioned getting DM'd by Drake, like that's everyone's dream. They'd be like, oh shit, I'd love that to happen to me. But if Drake DMs you and you haven't got your 10 years in the trenches, you're not ready for that DM because you can't deliver the product. It's like, it's those, it's those, it's that grind and making all those mistakes and, and producing shitty videos in the beginning when you're still working as a chef and doing whatever in the food industry and like, that's the time where you're building what's paying off now. You're planting those seeds that are now starting to bloom. Yeah. I mean, I tell it, it's funny because I bring this up a lot because I, I own a production company um, and essentially my production company is ran by me and my brother and my childhood best friends that I've known since one of them I've known since the day he was born. The other I've known since second grade. The other I've known since like kindergarten. Um, and these guys were all working in industries that were like restaurant industries. One owned a restaurant, one was a waiter, one was a bartender. Um, and I was always just the one man band grinding it out, you know? Um, and so essentially I, I came up with this idea. I was like, look guys, like if you just come out here and rock with me, I will show you how to do these jobs, like produce. And like my, like my line producer who's in charge of all, you know, keeping charge of the line items and the finances and all that stuff. He did that for his restaurant. I said, it's the same things. Instead of pasta and sauce, it's, you know, lenses and lights, you know what I mean? And, and I was like, he caught on really quick and we started developing formulas. And I was like, all right, there we go. But the only problem is, is that by giving people shortcuts to things, they don't remember, you know, certain experiences that will keep them from getting bone. But me, I'm here to kind of catch a lot of those. But we had one recently, you know, where we lost a little bit of money, you know, because of a, of a hiccup of somebody thinking, Oh, I could do this a little bit this way. And the same thing I preach to my young filmmakers, I'm kind of mentoring and bringing up through the company. As I say, I'm going to try to save you guys a lot of these headaches. I'm going to try to help you get from a to B quicker. Um, but the thing I've learned is that there's a lot of things you can't teach people because of the mistakes you learn way 10 times more from a mistake than you do from a positive experience. I, I, at least in my opinion, it's like, I, 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 it's like when you touch a hot, like piece of the stove, you know, all right, I'm never going to touch that shit again. But if you've never been burned, you're going to just keep working how you work. So that's, that's a huge thing right there. And I, I tell all young filmmakers, I'm like, you know, try to just do what you do and enjoy the journey because the worst moments in your career leading up to certain things always, at least in my life, have blossomed into amazing things. Like COVID for me was a huge blessing. Started my company. Um, I got very sick, not with COVID, but just with a personal thing that t took me out of the game. I wasn't able to direct from like 
on a real set for like four months. I was directing videos from my home and, and it really put things in perspective for me that, you know, I was, I was going too hard. I learned how to balance life and just different things of appreciating, you know, the lows. Cause man, the highs have been way better. You know, when you get through a real deep low, the, the highs only going to be higher. So enjoy the journey is what I always say. So on that note, like what have you learned about balance in terms of kind of, yeah, sort making sure that work doesn't always take over. Uh, but then also like still understanding that at the start, you kind of balance is going to be skewed in one way because you, if you want to be successful, you have to put everything into it. Yeah, you have to go all in. Go all in on yourself. If this is your dream, go all in. Put your chips to the front and, you know, I mean, granted, be smart about it, you know, <laughs> like in the sense of don't just be the guy who walks in the casino, puts it all in, doesn't even understand the game or anything. You got to go all in when you know you got a hand to play. Um, but um, yeah, balance is the biggest. That's something I've learned at this tier in my career, because before I never really had balance. It was just go, 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 boom, boom. But you wear yourself in the ground and it's which is exactly what I did, you know. Uh, the main thing is, is look at your surroundings, make sure the people around you and your circle are are people who you feel have your best interests in mind and, and are working towards a common goal and all these things. And that's a big one. And then maintaining balance of, you know, like me, I, I recently got engaged and it's maintaining a relationship with your your other half. And then you have your friendships and your family and your dreams. So it's like weighing all of them. I try to put a little bit of time into all of them. So I try to stick to, you know, as hard as it is in this industry to regular business hours where, you know, in the past I used to, oh, I'm going to stay up till 5 a.m. and write this treatment. Yeah, I might do that if there's a strict deadline. But like nowadays I'll be like, okay, I'm going to work up until eight o'clock. You know, maybe I'll eat dinner and I'll pop into the office for an extra hour and then I'll close it up and I'll say, all right, now it's, uh, you know, time. Let's wind it down, watch a movie, you know that type of thing. Um, and then also making sure like not only just my team of best friends, it's like making sure, you know, we work hard for a couple months. Let's take a vacation. Everybody let's go together, you know, let's enjoy the experience. And that's one of the greatest things about working your best friends is that in the past is like you try to do something with your friends. I can't, I'm stuck on this job. I'm working this and that. Now it's like, Hey, we're going, <laughs> let's, let's all go, you know? So yeah, those little things balance is the big key. And same thing with health, just eating right, maintaining good sleeping hours and all that stuff because once you're unhealthy that your dream you can't do it to 100 percent. your work doesn't look like 100 percent. and there's some job some of my work that i have very high accolades for i was like tiesto's the business video i directed that sick as a dog in my bed at about 10 percent of my capacity and i watched the video it's great but i know if i was on set and i could have been there to do what i do it would have been probably 100 times better I feel like you're you're quite a positive person and you you see the the good side of things rather than a kind of dwelling on it. When you're directing from your bed, does that force you to kind of look at directing in a different way and kind of like more analyze what it is so that you can do it remotely because you've you've really kind of dug down into what it is that you do more? Yeah, I mean <clears throat> for me it's like I'm I'm in this, in this later part of where I'm at in my career, it's like I'm more exact with my approach to directing where in the past I used to just kind of have a concept show up and figure it out. But then, it, you know, nowadays I'm very much in the pre-pro. I know exactly every shot I'm getting before I shoot. And one of the biggest compliments I get from every artist I work with is like, oh, wow, it's so refreshing to work with a director who just knows what he wants. Because it'll be like, 
okay, boom, boom, boom. All right, we got it. Like the video I just shot with the weekend, it's like we had him for like five hours and I had so much to shoot with him. And so I was like, okay, boom, boom, two takes. I got it. I know what I want. Let's move on. And he's like, okay, cool. Shit. Like <laughs> we're in the next setup. All right. Boom, boom. All right. Give me two more. Give me two. All right. Yeah, let's go. We're moving on. And artists aren't used to that, you know, in the sense of some of these guys are just figuring out a set and they're just trying to get all this coverage to save their ass um, because they give it to their editor and they let their editor kind of spice up their directing, you know. I think in music videos, there's two kind of, there's like a director, director, and then there's like the editor's director. And you'll see it. Sometimes you you just, they'll have a concept, but it's chopped all over the place and maybe it doesn't come all the way through. Whereas I think one thing that stands out with my work um, is that everything lives in its moment. And I, I go for the right framing. I go for the impact of every aspect to just have a visual experience that feels fluid. Um, and that's all really thought out in the pre-pro. Um, so with something like directing from home was just kind of, I had those notes with what I needed, but it was more so I'd have to be on the phone and talking through somebody else, you know? So I had, uh, a friend who was there on set and he was basically on the phone with me and he would call me between every set. Okay. What do we want to do? And I had the live stream up on my computer and I was like, all right, yeah, that looked good. Or let's change, let's push camera in from there, but not physically seeing the set, not really being able to walk yeah. around. Like some of my grand moments have always been kind of on the cuff where I'd be at a location and just look at something in a different perspective and be like, all right, let's switch it up and take this approach. Um, and just being able like to grab camera and move quickly, like I've DP'd a good majority of my videos. I understand I've edited ma majority of them. I colored, I understand all the mediums to kind of pop around and be like, all right, we have 15 shots to get in, in, in I go 30 minutes. It's like, all right, I'm condensing. I know how to get my story and make it. Sometimes condensing those shots creates the more magic, you know, just by like, I think David Fincher has that quote. It's like directing is having seven shots <laughs> and it's like having seven shots and only enough time for one and directing through a micro directing through a telescope with a paintbrush or some shit. I don't know. There's a great quote from him. That's so true because it's like, <laughs> it's really like that. You have to go through so many people to be on the same speed, but that's really what directing is, is moving everybody as a unit, you know, to get to a common goal. And I suppose as well, like if you've got a vision of what you want, then by limiting the editor with exactly what you want, they've got less scope to kind of change things. It's going to be your vision at the end. Oh, that's my trick to all these record labels who are like, oh, just do a master performance. I said, no, by me shooting the master performance takes us away from being able to hit our day. I have everything structured to, to hit it. I shoot to edit. My videos stand, my work stands alone at this point to show that I know what I'm doing when I do that. And people want me for what my aesthetic is. And it's like, all right, I'm going to take my approach to do this. And yeah, it is kind of my editor is like, bro, we love getting your work because it makes our job easy. It's like they don't have to guess where things are going. I shoot my coverage and sometimes I'll say, hey, if you feel like you could spice it up in any way, go for it. But for the most part, it's it's there. You know, it's it's a very easy approach to doing that. And it's it's because I understand I understand the music. I understand how a song should break down and when it's entertaining. I understand, you know, framing and what's, what's a nice frame and how to approach that. I understand pacing and edit and all those things. So when you, when you've done all the jobs and you understand the medium to a, to a degree that I do, it becomes easy and, and you're able to steer the ship a lot swifter.
than flying blindly through the night, you know? Yeah. I think like from researching you, I think what you do really well is for the fact that you do have that experience in everything, as you were talking about then, like kind of DPing, actually color grade, like understanding how everything works. Even if you're not the best at all of those things, just having that basically broad understanding means that you go into it understanding what the people on the other end are going to do and also worst case scenario if someone drops out or something you can always step in to do that uh, i yeah, think like i'm you're... not gonna lie my my video for jonas brothers that happened we did jonas brothers marshmallow and my dp had a family emergency he had to leave and we still had a bulk of our, like a second half of our video to shoot and i walked through real quick with him because me and him have a very similar understanding of how we like things and he's like this is what i was going to do and i was like all right cool i got your idea all right boom boom i just rent boom, grabbed everything. But like some directors don't even know how to touch a camera or grab it or do turn it on and what lenses do what. Um, so I always tell every young filmmaker, I'm like, do every job, learn it. You don't have to be the best at it, but at least if you have an understanding about it, you can speak the language. You understand if something's taking too long. Like I've had DPs I worked with be like, oh, you should have gave us a five hour pre-light. That's why we left. And then I look at them skinning a gel to go up on an 18K to go up on a condor. And I'm like, is that what we're waiting on? Cause I'm like, that's, that seems to me like something that could happen in five minutes, at least if I was doing it and they turns out they didn't have the right gels and they were <laughs> me. And I'm like, look, just be honest with me. I'm cool. You know, but don't try to blame me for not doing something when you fucked up yourself, you know, so <laughs> holding people accountability is, is a big thing, you know, and it comes with experience of just knowing what to expect from people. When you've got quite a definite view of how you want a video to appear, do you how collaborative do you get like kind of if the artist has feedback and there's kind of things that they want to get across but they've not seen what you have in your head yeah i mean i mean nowadays the majority of the videos i get approached with are usually the artist saying i just love what you do here's here's the open oh, that's canvas. great that's the or, that's the dream client yeah or sometimes i mean i'm just trying to think like like the doja cat video i did had me and her jumped on a call and she's like, look, I have this, there's this silhouette challenge that's blowing this song up on TikTok. I want to try to incorporate it in some way. And the only other thing I want to do is be in the rain. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> broad spectrum. So I was like, it's like a three and a half, almost four minute song. I'm like, it can't just be silhouette challenge because people are going to get bored. So I just mm. kind of got into my bag and I was like, just listening to the song. And I'm like, okay, well, this would be really cool. Like, it always takes place in like a door frame backlight. I'm like, what if she was in a window display that came to life? Cause it had this Paul Anka ethereal feeling to it. And I was just like kind of running with those ideas. And then I kind of went into a deeper, you know, narrative of like, what if this is like kind of like a story about love and like the deeper elements of like, you know, like the one in the window is the initial attraction. And then it becomes the car accident, which kind of brings up the scarred past where you see these zombies coming up and, and locked in a trance. Then it's like, you know, being so committed to the person where, you know, you get them swooped up in your web and you kind of like truly fall for each other. And then it's the mannequin. Uh, uh, I mean, where he's posed as a mannequin, which means that their, their love was actually, you know, not meant to last. It was a fake love. Um, and the explosion pulls him out of it. And it was just this whole dream. And I was like, you know, I was like trying to play in deeper meaning and let people kind of watch it and feel what is really going on. And some people actually grab onto it. And I think it's like art as a medium is meant to do that. It's like where, where people draw their own conclusions is the exciting part. Um, 
But back to the whole thing with artists is like Lil Nas X, uh, the latest video I did. Um, he came to me with basically an idea that was, he wrote a whole treatment around a prison escape. And it had like, basically the video we shot was like condensed into the first half. And then he broke out of prison and Jack Harlow was driving the bus and then they went and robbed a bank through Jack Harlow's verse and all this stuff. And it was like this insane idea. Um, and they were like, look, it's not doable to do it that way. Um, and for me, it's just like pacing wise was moving too fast. Like, it was just like, pop, pop, pop. So they, they were like, what can you do with it? And I was like, I took the idea and I stretched it into one song. And then I added a, a lot of nuances in because, um, I would say like what I added was, um, the shower scene was my idea. I was like, look, like Nas is a, you know, the type of artist who brings a certain shock factor to things. And, you know, yeah. especially when he told me the meaning of the song was just kind of like, you know, the industry caging him in. And, and, and when he came out as, you know, homosexual, he's like, you know, they're not going to accept me, this and that. And it was just kind of his standpoint of like breaking through the industry confines of this is who you are. We're going to imprison you. Um, I was like, well, let's kind of give a big fuck you to everybody. And like, let's have fun with it. Show them that you are full bore embracing who you are and let everybody just see you for the artist you are. So I was like, this is an iconic moment. No other artist has attempted to do any kind of choreo naked. I said, it's harder with females because you got to do more blurs. And I said, let's do just you guys. And he's like, I love it. So that was one idea. The phone stuff. Uh, I had the phone scene. And then when I saw the location, I was like, this is such a powerful location. Let's come up with a choreo that just feels so depth, you know, like in depth. And we can make it a real powerful moment. As, as we were shooting it, we were all just like looking around like, this is sick. This is like one of those iconic moments. And boom, that was one. And then the next scene of him working out was another one I came up with. I was like, all right, this part of the song sounds like you're, 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 you're struggling. And I was like, let's, let's lean into that. And then on the spot, we came up with the dance, you know, that kind of went with it. Um, so yeah, it was like a pure collaboration. It was like, he had, he had the kind of bones of the structure and I was like, all right, well, let me learn how to, let me, you gave me the canvas. Now let me paint in all the details and make it cohesive and the approach to it be, you know, realistic and how we're going to shoot it and keep everybody's, you know, eyes on the prize. But yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a pure collaboration of, of him coming to me with an idea that if I had heard that record off the top of my head, I don't know if I'm saying, oh, I see this as a prison video. Yeah. 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 You know, but that was the great thing is the kid's a genius and, and the deeper meaning of that video and everything. And, and we wanted to flip the strip, the script of like, you know, the guards are kind of hypocrites, you know, and kind of like the industry's hypocrites. That's why you see the guard watching him, his uh, yeah, Montero yeah. video. And he's kind of like licking his lips over it because it's like people love to hate it. You know what I mean? Um, and that was the good thing about this video is like where the Montero video was like very much in a lot of people's faces where, you know, it had a lot of out, you know, outcries of different things from the religious people and this and that. We wanted to bring a, a certain level of like, like people, even if you're not a homosexual, even if you're not into Lil Nas, like most people will watch that video and be like, this was entertaining. Like <laughs> this was, this was a fun video and it's no different than like, you know, Cardi B twerking in a video. What's the, what's the stigma because he's a yeah. guy doing it, you know, you're trying to smash all those stigmas and like, you know, really say that, you know, you should accept everybody. So I've seen so many people hating on my Instagram comments and I just said, look, man, if that's how you feel, unfollow me because 
we're obviously two different people. And if you can't see the art in this and that this is a person just trying to express themselves for who they truly are, then you, you have a lot of learning to do for yourself. I think that's also know how you know when you're doing something right, when the fact you do get people hating it, because it's like, then it's not just this mediocre thing that no one's talking about. There's a reason that that video is blown up so much and it's because people care. And it's like the amount of, um, like the industry baby video, the amount of times I've seen that shared on my Instagram stories through all the different people that I follow, it's because people care. They're like, this is saying something. This is helping a community of people in a really big way. And I think people really get behind that. We understood that 100%. Is especially like, you know, when when they approached me with the video, you know, as a as a straight white male, you know, I was from a different perspective. And I said, look, one thing important to me is I want to make sure this is on brand, authentic to you guys. And I'm not doing anything that's going to be offensive to one person or the next. And like, let's just make something that's purely, you know, art. And, and it's, it's, it's an, it's a pure representation of what Nas is as an artist. And I was like, this is a video that's really going to show the world that he is a superstar. He's like Madonna, you know, he's one of those artists who's going to just live on because he understands that there's a line and sometimes crossing the line is not what you want to do. You want to tiptoe that line and it's slowly going to become more what do you call it? He's going to be known as the artist who really broke down the boundaries of that. Because up until this time, I think about a pop, a uh, 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 openly gay pop star. I mean, I don't know if there's really truly been one except from that scale, except for like Elton John, you know, from that to, to reach those droves of like, like Nas put out a tweet the other day talking about like a lot of these huge superstars were forced into the closet. Like yeah, mm-hmm. Freddie Mercury, you know, he, they didn't kind of like parade him around as being, you know, this gay icon until after the fact, you know, and, yeah. and he had a whole list of like George Michael and all these people. Um, so now him fully leaning into it and people are slowly kind of saying, well, you know what, this isn't that offensive. This is art. This is him expressing himself and they're, and they're slowly warming up to it. And that's, you know, that's a hats off to him of being brave enough to go for it. And that's why that video is so special because the video is kind of that symbol of just saying, look, like you can't cage me in. I'm breaking out. This is who I am. And if you don't like it, then you shouldn't turn on your radio for the next year because, or probably the next few, 10 years, this kid's probably going <laughs> to just keep going. You know what I mean? And he's a true artist and he's a lot of the great promotion behind it is all him. Like the skit before it of the judge sentencing him, building the hype on the shoes. It's all him. So he needs the credit, you know, of where he truly is as this genius artist. And I knew while I was shooting, I was like, this is one of those kind of once in a lifetime opportunities to like, you know, leave an, a lasting imprint. Cause that's really what it's about. Cause I want to look back on some of the videos I did and not just say, Oh, they did this, they did that. But that's, this is one that I feel special about where I know it'll live on, you know, as one of those iconic videos. Like when you look back to the eighties and you see the thrillers and, you know, the certain videos, you're like, okay, that was one of those, that was this moment in time. So yeah, we all on set were just people ear to ear. My DP, I've worked with forever. He's like, bro, this is probably the most insane, like iconic video I've ever shot. And I was just like, wow, that's crazy. Cause I know what, what he shot before. How important is legacy to you? Cause I know you said before that, um, you can live on forever through art. And I just loved that phrase because it's like, when you think about the people that people remember from hundreds of years ago, 
quite often they are the artists. They say you never really die until somebody stops saying your name, right? So <clears throat> I think, you know, pop culture as a whole has shown that it's it's one of those things that will constantly that'll constantly be living on um, you know, through through the through the decades um and people go revisit it. So it's like maybe 60 years from now people come back into this and they want to relive the the tw- the early 20s of 2000s and they uh you know, that's the thing I always think about. You want to leave a lasting legacy. You want your work to be remembered. You want what your work, what you're doing to be important. Like, I think a huge thing for directors when they come up is, is be aware of the messages you're putting out. Everybody watches these videos, you know, and granted there's kids that watch it. There's different things. Like I remember when I took Roddy Rich the box and it was like, um, it was a song about a lot of street culture stuff, a lot of, you know, stuff that would normally be gang related and things like that. You know, I put the stick in the box and he's, he's talking about different things. And I was like, well, this is such a big record. I don't want to push that narrative to the kids I know who are going to watch this and stuff. So I said, let's have fun with it. And we took, I took more of a fantasy approach. I said, let's, let's do some stuff that kids can enjoy. It feels like a visual experience. It's like fun and entertaining and still goes with the record. Um, so those are the important things I think I've learned as I matured in directing. It's like, every time I approach a record, it's how's, how's everybody going to react to it, relate to it and those type of things. And since I've made that decision on my work, it's definitely benefited. Like my approach with the weekend video was just like, all right, this guy's been in so many iconic moments and videos. It's like, I want to put him in one of the most iconic. So I was like, what am I going to do? I want to go down a barrel of a gun and see him in a bullet and he gets shot out into a fucking drift car. And then he walks out and (laughs) explosions are going. I was like that to me, I was like, all right, this is a peak moment of just like doing as much crazy shit I can as I can and having a limited time to do it. And where does that um, creative process come from? Like, where do you get your inspiration from? Like, what does it look like when you've kind of got that blank piece of paper and you have to think, okay, well, I need to create something now that's going to be remembered. And also when you're, when you're working on something for someone like The Weeknd, who, like you say, has had all these iconic moments, do you spend time looking at other videos that he's been in? Or would you rather like kind of cut yourself off of that and try and do something completely not tarnished by the previous things? Yeah. I mean, I know with somebody like him, it's like, I've seen most of the videos he's in. I, I understand the aesthetics he usually likes and things like that. Um, the only inspiration they really truly gave me was they sent me this Bollywood clip of a guy getting out of a car and his manager was like, yeah, he wants to do something like this with like drifting around a car. And then he gets out of the car and I was like, okay, cool. Now I'll just run with that. You know? So I'm like, (laughs) I was just like thinking originally it was like, Originally, it was him holding the gun and he shoots, it goes down the barrel and he and he gets shot out of it. Um, and then he was like, he didn't want to hold the gun, which I understand, you know. And then I was like, okay, well, then I'm going to have a girl holding the gun and we go into it and he's in the bullet. So it's just those kind of like, you got to constantly be pivoting, you know, off of different things. And, and obviously the way we pivoted was the cooler idea. And I was like, when I came up with it, I was like, oh man, this is going to be insane. Um and yeah, it's just kind of like you have to understand the artist always. You can't just push your vision because you're you have this dream of like, oh, I have this crazy idea I just need to put in there. And if they don't like it, you fight for it. Um, you really have to understand what they want 
and kind of mend what they want to what you want. And that's really where the art is, is, is my best ideas have always come with just a collaboration. Like I said, one of my greatest ideas was just the shower scene in Nas's video. It's like, he gave me the structure of, of what he wanted to do in a prison. I was just like, instead of doing a, a dance choreo in a lunch, a lunch hall of a prison, let's do it in a shower. You know, I was like, that's something I haven't seen before. And that's something that I just visualized. I was like, this is going to be a moment that people will talk about, um, you know, and for the right reasons, you know, it's something that was going to push the conversation forward in a positive way um, of saying, wow, you know, this is a thing we we're we're at this point of pop culture where this is where we are and everybody's going to start accepting it more and it's going to live on. And yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. When you get to a certain level of directing, you got to just be considerate of the world around you and pushing the culture forward. I call like being a music video director, almost a culture curator. (laughs) You're a culture curator. So everything, if you're at the top of your game in music video directing, a lot of what you're doing is, is, tying the culture of what's happening or what what's relevant to where you're trying to be. And that's, you know, something you always got to be and hold it. It's like holding the Olympic torch. There's a lot of uh, responsibility with doing that and doing it the right way. Yeah. Cause it's like a time capsule, isn't it? Cause you look back at old videos from the eighties and nineties and it's like, you know, straight away, even if it's a tune you've never heard before, you know, from the video, like, okay, I can tell that this is from them. Um, so, so you've got like, you've got dope ideas, obviously like mad vision. What do you say to the filmmakers who are, don't have the, the, like, they're not at the stage yet where they're able to be working with big artists. So therefore they don't have a huge budget. Like what were you doing? Cause you've always had these mad ideas, but you've not always had the budget to realize them. What were you doing in that scenario? Yeah, I, I I tell up and coming directors all the time. Um, uh, when I have a chance to sit and meet somebody in person, I'm able to show them a lot because I'll be like, "Look, man, you know, don't get so caught up on what money you have, but like, what do you have around you that you have access to?" I think it's an old Robert Rodriguez thing where he's like, "I made my first movie for a million dollars," and he's like, "If your grandpa owns a liquor store, write a movie around a liquor store." It's kind of that <laughs> yeah. approach. The same same approach goes to making music videos with no money. It's like oh, there's a cool corner store in my neighborhood that has like a really dope neon sign. And okay, let's go, you know, shoot something in front of that because we don't need any lights. That's like the base model of it. And then it's like, I mean, even when I wasn't getting big budgets, like $3,000 budgets, which is probably a small budget. And most of the people in entry-level filmmaking are right there right now. Um, You know, I would just come up with concepts that were just rich in ideas. And sometimes you're working with the right artists. Like I had videos with Jordan Hollywood, for example, that... I had one where it was just him running through the jungle and we didn't, we couldn't afford any extras to be shooting guns or anything, but I was like, I'm just going to have tracers, like the little tracers of the bullets, like flying past them. And I did all the effects and after effects. Cause like I said, if you know how to do everything, I knew how to do VFX. I knew how to color my stuff. I knew how to light myself. So I was a one man band who could take $3,000 and spend it on just a camera and a gimbal and shoot it, you know? And it's really leaning into learning and you can never learn too much because, you know, I try to still take a day every day, like 10 minutes out of the day to go and just like, you know, research something, learn, watch a, like a breakdown of a screenplay or this and that, and just kind of have the knowledge filtering through the brain because you never know when something's going to come up. But 
on that level, it's just getting creative and having fun with it. That's the purest form of filmmaking is when you don't have anything. And it still happens on this level that I'm at now. It's like, I'll see, I'll be like, oh, if I just had a little bit more money, I could have gone even crazier. You know, if I could have just shot this in two days instead of one, like if I would have had the weekend for 12 hours instead of six, you know, like those are the things you're still, you're still going to get handicapped. And all that stuff is only going to help you at the bigger scale is like, I'm at a point in my career where they will give me the toys, but there's always going to be something. It could be the the number one enemy of any director is time. <laughs> you know, it's like, you might just not have the time to do it and you got to be good. You're constantly fighting with one arm behind your back. At least I am, but I love it. I'm the crazy guy in the ring who's bleeding out and I've got the one hand behind my back fighting with the broken, you know, wrist or some shit just like <laughs> i'm conor mcgregor with a broken ankle talking shit on the floor <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let's go i'll still but, beat your ass but i think it's in that isn't it where the stories and the memories come from it's like if it was all easy and they were like oh here's a hundred million budget and you've got loads of time it'd be like you'd be like okay and it's not going to be fun it's not going to be oh do you remember that time where this happened because we ran out of this and we had to go and get that to replace it yeah. and I tell people all the time, the number one thing, you just got to love this shit. If you don't love it, then you'll never go far. You got to love it. You got to love the people you're doing it with. All my crew, I rock with the same crew 80% of the time. And and it's like a big family. You know, when we all see each other on set, we all know, you know, at least with my crazy ass, it's like everybody gets excited because they're like, all right, we know we're doing something special today. We know we're going to have fun, you know, and you treat everybody the way you'd want to be treated. And understand that everybody down to the PAs are important, you know, and, and you, and you, after the fact, you go through and credit everybody, you give everybody, thank you so much. I appreciate every single one of you. And you never know that PA might be the next big director. And he's going to be like, I remember when you fucked with me, you know what I mean? So got to just be aware of all that thing. We were all start somewhere. And, you know, like I've had people when I was going to come up, Oh, what should I do? shouldn't do this business. This business is cutthroat. You, you, you don't want to be in this. And like, I'm like, who's that? What kind of advice is that to give to somebody? You know what I mean? It's like me, I'll never discourage anybody. And I have people write me all the time. I don't have any money for film school. And I say, well, good. I didn't have any money for film school. So you're right at the right point. And not that people going to film school are doing it wrong. I say it as the same people. I said, if you got the money, go. Because I know people who've had success. But it just wasn't my journey. And everybody's journey is going to be different. There's thousands things that will happen to you along the way. And some of you won't make it. Some of you will, and you won't know unless you try. So you, that's the biggest thing right there is like, if you don't try, you'll never make it. <laughs> and I think as well, like if you've got the determination, it will work. If you just keep going and you don't take no for an answer and you don't take that failure as a fail, like as the end of it, you just keep going. Like that's where the success is, is going to be because that's where the drive is. And it's like, you're going to make it work. Like no matter how much money there is there, no matter what equipment you have, no matter like what you're going to do, you're going to make the best of what it is because you enjoy the process. You have to, just in life, you know, you got to take every moment that happens to you, especially the bad ones, and just look at them. It's like sometimes some people will be like, oh my God, this is happening. Like, ah, this is, life hates me, this and that. And it's like, instead of taking the approach of like, life hates me, boom, boom. You got to take the approach of, okay, there's a deeper message to this bad moment I'm having in my life. And let me take two steps back, take a deep breath, stare at it and say, what is this, what is this teaching me and how can I learn from it? And usually in those moments, you'll have enlightenment, you know, and then it'll reset you rather than most people, if you have negative energy, you're just going to continue to climb down because that's just who you are. 
when you're in a negative space, it's all going to filter in. And, you know, not to say that bad things still don't happen to me and I'm this positive person. They do, but it's just my, my filter to embracing the bad things that happen to me and taking them on the chin a different way and being more of a seasoned fighter. Um, but those are all things, nothing's going to go right. If you're trying to shoot this dream and you think, oh, I'm just going to go out to Hollywood and I'm going to do this and now everything's going to, I'm just going to walk on set and I'm going to be a PA for one video and they're going to see my reel of some video I shot back home and they're going to hand me a $100,000 video and I'm going to knock it out of the park and then I'm the biggest director in the game. I hate to say it, that's not usually how it works, but shit, <laughs> if that happens for you, then you might just have a wishbone up your ass. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, people hear the Spielberg story of, oh, I walked off the, the lot on Universal and stumbled in an office. Yeah, that's a, like a, a fantasy. But he still busted his ass and shot some shit and probably had some mistakes, lost some money and did some things before that story. And he still had to prove himself. So um, if you look, that's why Jaws is literally my favorite movie. It's not the the movie itself. It's the story behind Jaws that to me, I, I have that tattooed on me as well. I have the screenplay of Jaws. Um, but it was what Spielberg went through to make that movie as a young filmmaker and all these seasoned people around him basically saying, Oh, like you're finished. You're never going to make it. Blah, blah, this, everything that could go wrong went wrong for him. But instead of crumbling, he leaned into it. He said, the shark's not working. Okay. Well I'm going to anticipate the shark and we're just going to see little nuances of what the shark is. And then building the music into it and leaning into that, it made the movie 10 times scarier. You didn't see the shark until like halfway through the movie. And granted, you were probably supposed to see it within the first 15 minutes if the shark was working. And if he had gone that route, it's just it's it's being in tune with your surroundings and saying, all right, I'm going to embrace all these things. And that's why that's my favorite movie of all time. It's just because it became the biggest blockbuster. It became shot him into the stratosphere. And that's something I've embraced my whole career on. It's like everything that's gone wrong. I'm going to, this is part of my story. This is the big moments. These are this, this is that. And I granted, I put a lot of my success because of that mentality. It all starts in the mind. You got to be there, you know, mentally. Yeah. Cause I think some people just won't start for that fear of, well, what if it goes wrong? What if I do this and it, it's awful. Or if it's going that- wrong, you have somebody in your ear saying, Hey, Ba ba ba, do this, and it's like they're steering your ship now because you just said, I, "I don't know what I'm doing." Somebody take the wheel, you know. Yeah. But when you're standing there and you you know you're in the trenches and you're fighting, you're kind of like taking the combat mode. You're the guy in the like push on, push on, and you're fucking getting beat up and you got shot and you're you're stumbling into the finish, but you made it. Uh, you know, you you survived the battle. That's really how you got to be. You can't be the guy who's like in the hole crying and like you know when all the dust clears, you're sitting there walking around like, Oh wow. Like, look what we did. You know, this doesn't work that way. There's two kinds of people, not to say there's not people who've been successful doing that, but, um, I'd rather be the other one. I think it comes back to, to your first tattoo. Like you didn't, I I mean, I'm not advocating that people go out and tattoo on, on themselves, but I kind of am like by doing that, you didn't really give yourself an out you were just like, this is happening. This is, this has oh, yeah. to happen. It's, I literally, when I went to, cause I got this tattoo and I went to um, meet up with that kid, Jordan Hollywood. He literally said to me, he goes, well, he goes, you can't go back now. He goes, you gotta, you gotta do it. And I said, that's kind of why I went and got it. I was like, I'd look pretty dumb right now if I had a bunch of filmmaking tattoos and I worked at a Chili's, you know what I mean? Or 
I worked at a nine to five office job telemarketing or some shit. You know what I mean? It's like, that's, that was kind of a big moment of like me putting it on my body and saying, this is my commitment to it completely, you know? That's interesting. Me and David were talking the other day just about how important it is to just like brand yourself with what you are. Like when someone says, what do you do? You say, I'm this. And it's like, you've done that in the actual kind of physical sense of being like, what are you? Like this, just look at my arm. This is who I am and who I'm going to be. Absolutely. You gotta, I always use the term, wear your heart on your sleeve. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's what I, it's what I love. And, And that quote is something that you know, that's a foundation I, I've been looking to start is the Dream Big Live Bigger Foundation, where it's like, you know, uh, going around to, you know, not just filmmaking, but like anything, people who have a big dream and helping kids who might not have a situation to get to that approach. And the first step of it is like my high school that I went to high school at, we had a television production program that I took from my freshman year all the way to my senior year, and where at the point that the county had to um, like make more classes because they didn't exist. I was in like honors nine or something. And they're like, well, the class only went to six. And so I maxed it out. And as soon as I graduated, they closed the program. And I can tell you right now, I would not be here today without that program. So for me, one of my biggest goals, and I probably can reach it sooner than I thought is I want to go back to that school. I want to go back to the County and I want to say, I want to open this program because it still exists. Like there's other schools that have it. They just didn't have any, they have grants and things like that, that keep good teachers in place. I want to go back to that school and open it back up. I want to give them good equipment and make it more creative because for us, it was all news and this and that. And it wasn't my teacher gave me the carte blanche to just be creative. He's like, you're more creative than just news. Cause I made it to the like uh, internship level where I was at the news station. And I was like, this is boring. I got to go like take my camera and go like do a story on a kid who's blind and plays the violin. Not that that's not a great thing, but it's like, for me personally, I want to go and like take the camera and shoot a war movie. That's what I was doing at the time. And my teacher kind of gave me that creativity to have fun with it. And I think there needs to be a creative program that allows kids to create content as we've seen in this day and age content creation is a huge business there's kids who are making millions off of tiktok and it needs to be brought back into school so i want to go back and bring a, a a program to that school and then kids who excel in that program like maybe the top two kids in the whole class i will give an opportunity when they graduate to come to california and work for me and just kind of passing the torch back because I think about it, I was like, there could be more great filmmakers from my hometown, but they'll never get the opportunity because the program wasn't there. So that's something long-term that I've been trying to do is just give back to, you know, pay it forward is the big thing. I've always been about that. Like, I'm, I don't hold anything when people ask me stuff. That's why I love doing podcasts because I know I can just post a link and say, hey, all you young filmmakers, go tap in, go listen to it because this is the type of stuff when you're broke and you have this idea and you don't know how to do it this is the shit that fuels you you know like okay well lick it he's there he did it and he's talking about the mindset and okay i just got to remember all this stuff and they play it and the next thing i know nothing would be greater to me it's like walking down the street and i see some big filmmaker and he walks up to me he's like dude i gotta shake your hand i don't know who you are and he's just like you saved me you led the way and to me that'll be the premiere moment bigger than any award bigger than anything it'll just be another person saying you did this you know 
Um, well, that that says a lot about your character, man. Because um, as you mentioned along the way, you had people say to you, "Get out of this industry," because they were scared of the competition. They're scared of the young buck coming up, like going to take their seat. And you're like, "No, bring it all in. Let's all grow together." And that I think that's that's a. It's big funny because you want to know who that director was. Is was Spike Lee. I met Spike Fuck Lee off. at this. No, no way, and he. I met Spike Lee at this NBA, uh, it was this all-star weekend event. And my, one of my best friends, his dad was a doctor for the commissioner of, uh, he was a heart, uh, heart doctor for the commissioner of the NBA. He got us tickets. We went to this brunch and everybody was all excited about basketball players. I wasn't as excited, but I saw Spike Lee. I'm like, he's <laughs> Spike Lee. He's a director. He's somebody I look up to, you know, he's great films. I walk up to him and I was like, Spike, can I get your autograph or something? And I said, and what I, what I would love more is like, what advice could you give to a young filmmaker? And he says, don't get into the industry. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and I didn't even have a response to it or anything. I was just like, man, that was so underwhelming. I like walked back with my autograph and I was like, damn, that kind of sucked. You know what I mean? So, and it, it could have just, I don't put all that blame on him, but it could have been him just having a bad day. You never know. But I'm like, yeah, yeah. I never want to be that guy. I don't, I don't ever want to be like, even if I'm an Oscar winner, or any of these things, I don't want to be somebody who's, you know, taking the approach of like steering anybody away. You know, granted, if you're a superstar like that and you're getting hounded all the time, I imagine it probably becomes a thing, but just have an automatic response. You could come mm-hmm. up with a response in five minutes. It's like somebody asked you that be like, listen, man, work hard, surround yourself with good people. Uh, and don't ever let anybody tell you you can't achieve your dreams. Have a great day. Right. Yeah. That's all you gotta do. That those words of wisdom go further than give up on your dream. <laughs> like it's impossible. Yeah. I might it's have like, to see him at the Oscars one year and just be like, Spike, pull you aside real quick. Just to let you know, you told me to get out of the industry, and it's the best best advice you never get. Uh, best advice you gave me that I never listened to. <laughs> do you still have that autograph? Uh, I do. Yeah, it's at my parents' house. On uh it could have been. I also made him sign a Miami Heat. Uh, hat and he was a diehard Knicks fan so <laughs> there could have been something there if it was a Knicks hat and I had him do it he might have given me a better response but uh, that's why I try not to lead too much into it but I just thought it was like a it was like the biggest filmmaker I've ever met you know it was like when you think about it I was like damn with some of the worst advice but you can't lead into it some people might be like oh well, shit if he says that maybe it is impossible so on that note you obviously kind of help lots of younger filmmakers what is the general problem that most people have or what people most or what is it that most people are struggling with that you're starting to see kind of quite a few times? And what, what is your response to that? Common things are like, hey, I'm, I really want to get into this, but I don't know how. Um, which I usually say like, hey, be hungry. Go on like, you know, find local musicians to shoot for or businesses or things like that. There's always a way to, to, to find your way and to shoot content. Now, if you're good enough to do it, now I tell people this all the time, it's like, if this is just an idea and you don't have an eye and you don't have any of this, I was making home movies when I was like seven years old, like acting, setting it up, shooting, editing. I was doing all of those things. Um, I was very proactive in it. So by the time I made it to high school, I had, even in my first class of being in TU production, which is entry level, I already knew how to edit. I already knew how to shoot. I already knew all these things. And I kind of, you know, grew with the, the industry. But at the time when I was coming up, cameras like DSLRs weren't a thing to shoot. Like I tell kids all the time, like you have an iPhone that shoots so fucking HD that you can shoot anything on. I was so excited to buy a a thousand dollar camera that I saved up. That was HD 1080p at the time, which was probably not even as good as my iPhone is today. 
and I was shooting on it. You know what I mean? I, I tell people all these things. It's like, it's not the camera you're using. It's the filmmaker. That's what it is. It's like, I could probably go shoot a, a music video on an iPhone that's better than somebody who is not good at shooting music videos on a million dollar with all these, with all these things, I could just find a way to shoot it. And I'm, I come up with a better story. I understand my approach and what it takes to do it. And that's, that's where the art is. So put your time into crafting what it really is that is going to make you stand out. Like, don't just be the guy who's grabbing. Cause there's a couple directors, like some people on the come up are like, Oh, I'm just cash grabbing. I don't care. I'll just pull up and shoot somebody and just do some stuff. That's not going to push my career forward. Like you're going to, you know, like I'm just going to go down, like, especially in Miami, you know, there's a lot of hood rap that goes on in like Miami Dade Broward and you end up on set with a bunch of guns pointed at you. I've been that guy and I'm like down in the middle of the trenches and got guys holding guns in my face. I'm like, this is not where I want to be. This is not creative. Nobody's going to look at this and be like, this is sick. You know, if it does get a million views, it's only because the artist is big and that's where you got to separate yourself is just say, all right, I'm not going to say yes to these jobs. I'm going to go seek out the good stuff. And a lot of people be like, well, I can't sell these artists on these concepts. I, I, they don't really like, I'll write a cool idea, but they want to do something like that. And that's the struggle of where you got to really look into who you're working with. You know, maybe you say just to get one of those creative out there, Maybe bet on yourself, be like, find an artist and be like, Hey, I got this idea. I'm willing to put up some of my own money to achieve this idea. If you just lend your music to it and let's go into it together to create the art. And then once you got the one piece that shows, wow, this guy's really doing some creative shit. Now you go and pitch it, you know, you got to invest in yourself. It takes money to make money, you know, not that you should always be putting your money into videos, but if, if you're trying to break into a certain section you got to sometimes, you know, play that game. Like sometimes to, to get somebody to do a film, you'd have to finance and find your own indie film in order to get somebody to take you serious in the film approach, you know? Um, so it's the same thing. Like I didn't yeah. go to college. So I'm like, I would have spent a bunch of money on college. Let me invest some money into, a, you know, a good camera or this and that and, and, and some proper uh, computer to edit my stuff on to be efficient it's funny, I was actually thinking earlier about kind of money and how, especially like when you're getting started, there's always so little of it. And just, but then what people spend their money on. And I was kind of thinking earlier today, like when you buy anything, just ask yourself the question is like, is this going to make me look good tomorrow? Or is this going to make me look good in a year's time? And it's like having that kind of forethought about like, am I investing in my future? Or is this just to make me look cool today? Exactly. If you're one of these guys who's like, I'm going to shoot 10, $2,000 videos and I'm going to go crazy and I'll make 20 grand. And then I'm going to go buy a Rolex with it. Your priorities are messed up. <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? It's like, you can't be doing that. You should be taking that. And maybe you're buying some lights. I, I don't really invest in equipment, but at that early stage I did, you know, I bought like little jib arms. I bought, I made dollies. I, I, I put the money into creating because at the time, nobody was doing that. Nobody really had little jib arms in their cheaper videos. And I would bust it out and put it up real quick and get some sweeping crane shots. And I try to bring a, an element to my work. And yeah, work hard, bust your ass for 10 years, then go buy yourself the Rolex. Once you've, you know, hit a certain pinnacle and you, and it's not like spending the the busted ass work you just did to get it, you know? So um, yeah, you got to have your priorities straight a thousand percent. You can't be that guy 
there, I mean, there's people who make a living on it though. There's, there's guys who will shoot those videos and they will just shoot a shit ton of them. They take their money. They don't, they'll get a $3,000 budget. They pocket a hundred percent of it because they own the camera. They're coming out. Maybe they got a dude helping them. They throw 200 bucks too. boom, boom. And that's their business. Not that it's a wrong business, but if you're trying to go to the top of this business, that's never going to work. So just who you want to be. There's always going to be different tiers of everything. You know, there's a high end restaurant and there's McDonald's. And McDonald's makes money too. Dude, this was uh, mad inspiring. I just want to go and make some shit now. I just want to go yeah. and make. So That's what this so is thank about, you. right? We got to inspire everybody, man. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I love it. Um, could you let our listeners know where they can find you online? My Instagram is probably the best way to find me. Uh, it's at Chris the Director. Pretty straightforward. Um, and then if you want to check out my website and stuff, there's usually the link on there. Or you can just look up ChristianBreslauer.com. That's dope, dude. Thank you so much. 